Disclaimer. This episode contains strong references to violence and drug use from the outset. Incoming transmission. Welcome. 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 This is True Spies. The podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Week by week, you'll hear the true stories behind the operations that have shaped the world we live in. True Spies. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? This is True Spies. When you're under pressure, life and death situations, that kind of pressure, you really see what somebody's made of. You learn a lot about somebody and how they react and how they manage. I'm Sophia DiMartino, and this is True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Project Scorpius Part 2. Agony and Ecstasy. We're in Canada, the year 2000. Drug Enforcement Section, or DES officers, Pamela Robinson and Kevin Barnum, have been undercover for just a few months. But already, they've made a direct connection to the Hells Angels, one of the most deadly narcotics gangs in the country. For several years, the Hells Angels have been at war with rival biker groups for control of the drugs trade across Canada. The body counts already well over 100, and even the Canadian Mafia are asking the bikers to tone things down. Posing as couriers and casual users in a small town, Pamela and Kevin are trying to infiltrate this criminal underworld. And now they are dealing personally with the brother-in-law of one of the Angel's most notorious enforcers, David the Wolf Carroll. He'd been indicted on 13 counts of first-degree murder. You're not dealing with a street-level person when you're dealing with him. Just the name was, you know, intimidation enough. The Hells Angels weren't on their list of targets when the project started, but that soon changes. One of their primary initial targets, a gym instructor called Rob, introduced them to his boss, a man by the name of Billy. And Billy is Wolf Carroll's brother-in-law. Now we already have Billy, who is a direct connection to the Hells Angels and the cocaine coming in from Montreal. We didn't even know it was on the radar. The cover team had to get photos of him and identify him, and it, it didn't take long. He'd had an extensive criminal record for drugs and for violence. Hearing of their courier business and needing a driver while he handles the merchandise, Billy asks Kevin and Pamela to escort him on two deals. We are going to get a cut with some product and some cash, more cash than product. The deals will take them all the way to the Quebec border, close to both the edge of their own jurisdiction and the Hells Angels Montreal headquarters. That night, Kevin and Pamela pick up Billy and head off. He believed that we were the real deal and we really got to know him along the way. Billy tells them just how close to Wolf he really is. He just kept talking about my ex-brother-in-law, Wolf. And how he helped Billy out of a jam. He'd been on the pipe for so long and been using, and he had racked up debt to over 30,000 bucks. And so he's telling us about, well, if it wasn't for his brother-in-law, Wolf Carroll, they would have killed him. And they kept him in somebody's basement to dry out. And Eventually, in the dead of night, 
they reach the first pickup. We pulled into a, a truck stop in a town near the, the Quebec border, and at that point, he went into a place, he comes out, and he gets in the back, and he's got 10 ounces of cocaine with him, which is a fair bit. 10 ounces, worth well over $10,000 on the street. For Pamela and Kevin, only a month into the project, that amount was almost unheard of. Kevin was used to working street-level dealers for a few grams here and there in the first months of previous covers. We had to drive to another location. He gets out, does a 10-ounce deal with another one. Both encounters pass off without a problem. He starts cutting it in the back of the Jeep. If I recall correctly, it was a couple of ounces of cut, which he added to it. Cut. What any dealer will add to end up with more product to make it more lucrative. Laundry detergent, caffeine, laxatives, anything to bulk out the bag. Driving Billy back home, Kevin asks for their slice of the deal, an eight ball of cocaine. Which is three and a half grams of coke. Plus $500 cash. For our delivery, our time and our gas. At least that was what was agreed. Billy hands them the eight ball, but no cash. He'll have it for them next month, he says. Kevin and Pamela let it go, for now. But at least we could prove what was in the bag and get paid for our services. They know that Billy is connected and that even to get this close to him is a win. Bill is insulated because he's, you know, upper management, so to speak, in the town. So he's funneling everything through other people. And that's why it was remarkable that we were able to connect with him so quickly and build a rapport. Dropping Billy off, they head to the safe house, an apartment 20 minutes outside of town from their own apartment. There, the crucial groundwork of the operation clicks into gear, and Pamela and Kevin relay everything that has happened that evening. It's all continuity that you have to be aware of that when you're presenting evidence in court as an undercover officer, so you need to have proper notes of exactly what happened. Even when it comes to a buy, I took $1,000 out of my left pocket and $20 bills, I passed it to his right hand. I took the cocaine and put it into my right front pocket. And getting the evidence to their cover team fast is also key for another reason. The exhibit officer would then take it and send it off to be analyzed. I always wanted to get the quants back on it fast. Quants, analysis of the drug's composition because the faster we get the quants back, the sooner we could go and say to Rob, oh man, that was amazing, whatever, or it was crap, and we don't want to buy it from you again, or if you give us that again, we'll never deal with you again. It's a way out, too. We do that to um, see where they are in the food chain, essentially, where they are in the hierarchy, because the better it is, you would just think that the higher up they are. A couple of months into Project Scorpius, Kevin and Pamela are effectively in two full-time jobs. The first one as undercover police officers collecting evidence, building a case, and the second actually running that cover, their courier service, Scorpius Messengers. We got some legitimate contracts from the real pharmacies, real fast food places. You know, they were always looking for people to work and we would deliver their stuff and we'd make sure that we'd run into a target or two. The targets themselves are now starting to use Scorpius messengers too, thanks again to some subtle tradecraft. We wanted to get out the drug dealer end of things, not necessarily us just being, you know, everyday users. So we would make a comment to each other about a delivery that we'd had to make. And there's another reason why they're building a rapport 
with their targets so easily. It worked out well, our cover being a couple. Being able to socialize with the drug dealers at a different level because most of them have girlfriends or wives, so it became couples. After his initial concern at having a woman for a partner, Kevin was beginning to see that it had huge advantages. Pamela's a good-looking blonde woman, and it definitely broke the ice. And sure enough, before long, Billy, the direct connection to the Hells Angels, has embraced them into his inner circle. He even introduces them to his wife. His common-law wife was very involved in his business, but she was insulating herself as well because she had a government job in the town and she had no criminal record. She worked in social services and I remember her one night telling me about her job and she was so proud of this job because it was a government job. And she's like, oh, nobody, you know, knows what, you know, what Billy does or whatever. And if they found out about any rats, so anyone who was uh, ratting on them or that was a rat to the cops, she would pull their file from social services to get their welfare cut off. And she would do all of that behind the scenes. Getting to know the wife further, it becomes obvious why Billy isn't giving them the money for the Quebec border deal. She said to me one night when we were out, you know, we have to start keeping the stuff off site like we used to because, you know, Billy is just too tempting for him. Like he's got his head in the bag, which is, you know, that term for, you know, using cocaine. So he was returning back to his old ways. Given his connection to the angels, though, Kevin and Pamela stay close to Billy while also cultivating other targets in the town. So you actually try and position yourself. It will be a planned coincidental meeting where the target is known to frequent. So one of the, the main places in the town we were at was a strip bar, but it wasn't your Vegas style one, let's put it that way. Since burned down, you can see why. It was the dirty, smelly carpets. The bathrooms were filthy, dirty. They were spray painted black, the whole thing. And then even the toilets were painted black and the backs of the toilets were actually covered in Vaseline. I'll let you describe the ladies' bathroom, Pamela. I went in just to do a quick deal with Billy's wife. And um, she said, just be careful because uh, you can't do it off the back of the toilet. Like because the manager puts a thin layer of Vaseline across because he knows everybody's using in here. Kevin and Pamela realize Billy and Rob, their original contact, are heavily connected with the strip bar. No deal goes down that they don't know about. The deals we were doing in there, they would all get back to Rob and Bill. Like if you bought some dope from one of the dancers there, that's still all controlled essentially by the same organization. After another few months doing hand-to-hand -hand deals and building consequent profiles on each of their targets, the workload is beginning to take its toll on the undercover agents. We were actually getting so busy with our messenger service that we had to shut down a couple of our clients because you're trying to get your sleep, you're trying to keep your notes. Making sure, you know, exhibits were going to be sent away, meeting with the investigators, coming up with a game plan for that night. Because they'd want to know, you know, who do you want to meet tonight? Where are you going to go? They need to know how many cover officers to have and then get ready to head out and start going to the bars until the bars closed. And that's every single night. As Operation Scorpius progresses, Pamela and Kevin venture to more rural towns. We would go into more smaller towns, smaller communities that were still in the realm of this project. So now you're dealing with completely different people. One night, Kevin and Pamela head to one of the smaller towns for a party, 
bringing Rob with them. Just to kind of keep our story rolling, we met some other friends. To reinforce their cover, Pamela even arranges to do a small coke deal with one of her colleagues in front of Rob. We wanted it to look like she was a friend of mine from before. She's kind of parked up. Kevin pulls over to the side of the road. I get out and we do a hand-to-hand. I come back, I show the cash, and now we're like, all right, yeah, we're going to go have this party at this other bar. Arriving at the party, they soon see some unexpected benefits to bringing Rob along. He knows everybody in the other town, so it immediately gets us into that town even faster because we have him with us. By 2 a.m., that party is winding down, but Rob isn't finished. So we get invited to this house party, which is walking distance. The bar's closed. This is like 2 a.m. And Pamela's like, I just want to go home. I'm going, no, no, we're going to the party. And Rob's going, we're going to the party. And she's like ticked, like at both of us, you idiots. Anxious not to miss out on important intel, Kevin and Pamela agree. We cut through a couple of yards. I remember trying to get over a fence and we get into this party and it's a smaller house and it's packed full of people. So just a cloud of smoke from marijuana and that smell of uh, like bacon grease with weed and just the stink of the house. It's rocking, the music is cranked. And personal hygiene wasn't a priority for a lot of people there either. Looking around, they don't recognize any of their targets, nor anyone else they know. But they can't miss one guy. He's larger than life. And I mean, like, if you take Bigfoot or Sasquatch and marry with the Chewbacca kind of thing, and he stands, you know, almost a head above everybody else at this party. So he's talking and he's so loud and he's the guy. The guy's name is Animal. And before they can find out any more, they turn to see Rob chatting to him. He was challenging this guy, Animal, on the quantities of drugs he was saying he had access to. All of a sudden, Animal grabs him, pulls out like this large fillet kind of knife and holds it up to him. He's got him shoved into the wall with one fist and a knife to his throat. Animal has Rob's feet lifted off the ground. Everything stopped. Everybody is watching this. Immediately, Pamela rushes over. So I'm like, wow, that is like Crocodile Dundee. I won't do this horrible Australian accent, you know, but, you know, now that's a knife. Kevin can hardly believe his eyes. How close she was to the animal and the way she said it, that it was like, oh, my goodness, there she is right in there lipping off to the animal. But what Kevin sees next is even more astonishing. And then all of a sudden, animal starts kind of laughing. The tension breaks. And he lets Rob go. As the party kicks back to life, Pamela starts chatting with Animal. And Kevin's talking to him and I'm talking to him. And Rob's terrified at this point. Like he's still, I think, the adrenaline of having that big knife held to his throat by this enormous guy, you know, sobered him up pretty quickly. But eventually the ice breaks and Rob and Animal start to chat. They were fine with each other after that. As the night goes on, Animal shows an interest in striking some deals with the out-of-towners. The party has paid off. So at the end of the day, Kev was right to want to go to the party because we opened up a door that 
animal had flown under the radar. Like he wasn't on our target list. I hadn't heard of him. And, uh, you know, when we shared the intel with the investigators, they did some background research and took a little bit of time to put everything together on him because he had been really good covering his tracks, insulating himself. But that particular night, he let loose and opened the door for us. And soon, Kevin learns how unscrupulous a criminal animal really is. He wanted to plan an armed robbery knowing my military background with weapons, but he didn't care if people were hurt or killed. I said, I don't want anybody dying this. He goes, well, it might happen. That was his attitude towards people. Kevin politely declines the offer, but maintains a narcotics relationship with the small town dealer. He became the big fish in town there. But Kevin and Pamela are about to come across an even bigger fish. Hello again, True Spies listeners. This episode is made possible with the help of June's Journey, a thrilling detective game which you can play right on your phone. If you're a True Spies listener, it's safe to assume you're interested in clandestine missions, investigative adventures, and deciphering the latest mystery. You can find all of this in abundance and more in June's Journey. In the game, you'll play as the plucky June Parker, an amateur detective in the roaring 1920s. Poor June is set to investigating in order to find the truth of her sister's untimely murder. I don't want to give too much away, because the fun of June's journey is seeing where this twisting story takes you. But I've just come to a grisly conclusion, thanks to working alongside other real players online as part of a detective club. Take heed, though. Not everyone wants to be June's friend. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android. Every day in America, 60 million packages are delivered. But we don't always know what's inside. He bent down to pick the package up. That's when the device detonated. Danger is everywhere, and no one is safe in Austin, Texas, as law enforcement hunts a serial bomber for 19 days. From Sony Music Entertainment, Campside Media, and Pegalo Pictures, this is Witnessed. 19 days. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts to binge all episodes or listen weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Let's recap. Kevin and Pamela have established a network in town. They've been vetted by Rob and Billy, and they've passed the test. They've expanded the operation into the regions and made inroads there too. And they've climbed the ladder all the way from the middlemen to their bosses. Kevin and I are working it. We're like moving up higher as undercovers. That's a big win because it's tough to get the trust and to work with people at those levels. Now time to up the ante and seal the deal. We can actually go for the bigger fish. They're really the problem. You know, the street guys are a problem that the community sees and it's challenging. But if you can cut the dope off higher up, you make a much larger impact. And then Billy, one of their primary targets, drops a key opportunity right in their laps. Billy then introduces us to his supplier or the connection that the boys from Montreal are meeting up with in this other town and everybody knew that that meant that the Hells Angels from Montreal are coming in and they were the ones bringing in the quantities of coke. Billy's own back end or supplier asks them if they want in on the deal. 
So we set up this deal and uh, we're pretty excited because some of the actual HA are coming in. At this point, it's worth a reminder just how rare this opportunity is. Kevin has worked undercover for years. Only once has he ever dealt with a fully-fledged or patched member of the Angels. They run the dope trade. They don't actually deal it out themselves. At least not to anyone except one or two highly vetted individuals. Doing a face-to-face -face deal with the Angels would see them collect hard evidence on some of the most dangerous criminals known to the police. Criminals who have evaded justice for decades. It's like winning the undercover cop lottery, right? To be a part of this, so we're thrilled. The deal is set up for two ounces of pure rock cocaine, a tester. If the deal goes off without a problem, the angels are likely to confirm that Pamela and Kevin are legit. Once you've gone from ounces, you go to kilos. So we're at a level where we're going to go from a two-ounce tester to buying at least a pound to a kilo to move up from there. This is unheard of that this was going to be happening. And all we can see is like going bigger and bigger. The meet is scheduled for the parking lot of another strip club out of town. Kevin and Pamela meet up with their undercover team to tell them the good news. But they can hardly believe what they hear. And then we get told, no, no, that's not going to happen. What? They both reply. They're like, you're getting cut off. We're not going to give you the buy money. It's not going to happen. But the deal's already been agreed. Backing out now means not only foregoing hard evidence against the angels, it would also look extremely suspicious. For the biker gang, violence is a way of life. These are not the kind of people you want to start doubting your credentials. So we're going to be walking in with bikers and telling them, oh no, you know that deal we told you and now you've risked bringing a couple of ounces in your vehicle and now you're exposing yourselves to a couple of strangers. That's not how this works. Like you order something, you pay us the money right now. This isn't a negotiation. This is a done deal. Their superiors offer up a compromise, at least their idea of one. Tell them that you only want a gram to Kevin and Pamela, this is an even worse idea than backing out completely. It doesn't take long for the penny to drop. Kevin and Pamela are caught up in internal police politics. The investigators want to keep the operation within the original town. Because that's what it was written for. That's where the money for this project was coming from. And by taking it all the way to Montreal, they've crossed an invisible line. To Kevin and Pamela... This is crazy. That smaller town was just one little piece in the people that Billy was connected with and their whole game and how much quantity and where they could bring it in from. And so it got a lot bigger. So Kevin and I, in our mind, started to shift to this bigger fish. But one of our lead investigators, who was from one of the local areas, didn't want that shift to happen. Their superiors are adamant. Our investigators are telling us, no, you're done. So then we have to tell Bill and Rob that, no, we can't do it now. And just like that, their chance of a hand-to-hand -hand deal with the Hells Angels is destroyed by their own side. But how do you exit politely from a major drug deal with the Hells Angels? We had to start creating this story, you know, that Kevin's starting to go off the rails a little bit and that I don't trust him. That's why we're short the money. But that means Kevin has to disappear. 
because we have to pretend that Kevin took off and he's using again and he's got this stripper girlfriend and he's left me high and dry and I need to work up to get the money. Leaving Pamela working the case alone. Surprisingly, Billy, the brother-in-law of one of the most notorious Hells Angels and the man who helped arrange the deal, is understanding. They've all done it, right? So they've all taken off on their women. They've all used and done these different things. So they're going to give some more grace in their own way. And Bill's like, okay, I've got a way that we can both make a lot of money and this will help you clear this up and, you know, everything will be fine. Billy mentions another of his back ends, an ecstasy dealer from Amsterdam, and offers up another deal. If we buy 10,000 tabs, if you can come up with the money... I'll get the deal set up, I'll do the connection, and I'll take my cut, which is going to be 50%. And normally, you know, you'd negotiate a lot harder and you'd be like, but he thinks that I'm this woman who's not going to, you know, that I don't really know what I'm doing. And Kevin's now gone, so I don't have that protection anymore. So he's helping me out of this jam. But he knows he's going to be taking more of a profit than he should. But I'm like, oh, okay, you know, that makes sense. Okay, let's do this. 10,000 hits of ecstasy at that time would be about 25 on the street. So that's a quarter million dollar deal that you're doing hand to hand with them. Pamela has to move fast though. The project is nearing its 10 month deadline, which in an undercover drug operation is a hard deadline. It's called takedown day. When all of the search warrants on everyone that we've bought from and all the different places we've been to are gonna be executed in pre-dawn raids. She and Billy arrange the deal. 10,000 ecstasy pills, the day before takedown day, which also goes by another name, rip day. So you order up the dope, you don't plan on paying for it. You set up a situation where you see the drugs, you make the signal, the cover team comes in and arrests everybody on site, including the undercover. They don't even know you're an undercover officer at the time because you're arrested with them. Then they're released and they go off and do it again and again and again, like as many rips as you can possibly set up for that particular day. But Pamela's superiors aren't playing ball. By this point, they have stopped cooperating entirely. The investigators at the time will not give us the rip money, that flash roll. A flash roll. A roll of high-denomination bills the undercover flashes at each deal on rip day, just to bide some time. They're like, this deal is dead. You're not doing it. It's done. And, and we're like, oh no, it's not dead. You watch. Pamela gets her own money for the flash roll, some 10,000 Canadian dollars. We told our cover team that uh, we left out the part about having the flash roll. Pamela tells her superiors it's only a small deal in town where they can arrest Billy, the biggest target on their list. And she doesn't ask for a flash roll. They agree to it. We're going to have this first rip, the biggest one we have planned for the day. As rip day begins, Pamela arrives at Billy's house as planned. But he's not alone. Billy's back end is there with him, so the guy who's supplying him showed up. The man with enough connections to arrange delivery of 10,000 ecstasy pills all the way from Amsterdam. A big fish. Which again, is a huge win. He's obviously higher up than Billy is, so now we're going to get a new guy. That's a two-for-one deal. That's what that is. Pamela has arranged for them to meet another undercover to sell some of the product. 
and I want to drive my undercover vehicle because I'm in control and Billy was going to jump in with me, which he had done many times before. No, Billy's supplier says. You're coming with us. While keeping her cool, inside, Pamela knows this is a huge problem. One of the number one rules when it comes down to a rip is you do not get into their vehicle because then they have control of where you're going and what's going on. So it's an officer safety nightmare of what just happened. Pamela is desperate for the rip to happen, though. And so she ignores that number one rule. But we'd already had the rug pulled out from under us on the Hells Angels stuff and that deal. And I'm like, no, this is happening. So I see the dope go in. He puts it in the trunk in a box and... I immediately get into the back passenger seat. So Billy's guy gets into the driver's seat and then Billy gets into the front passenger seat. To their horror, Pamela's cover team watch her being driven away. She's not alerted anyone. And it's not long before Pamela notices something isn't quite right. Billy seems really kind of nervous and off. And I dealt with him now for nine plus months at this point. Even when he was using or different things were happening, I could sort of sense, you know, when everything was okay or when something wasn't okay. And he starts drumming on the dashboard, this kind of nervous, frantic energy that I hadn't seen before. The guy driving is like stone-faced, just super calm. There's no conversation happening. Suddenly, Pamela's cell phone breaks the silence. Get out of the car, get out of the car, get out of the car now! She jams open the door. Billy turns to grab her. Just before he can reach her, Pamela is out the door. It's nothing like television where people jump out and do this gymnast kind of finish. It's more like a bag of cement falling out of the back of a vehicle and just hitting the pavement. Several cover team vans zero in on the car. And they just block in Billy and Matt. They take down the car and they arrest them. And Billy starts yelling, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were a cop. Billy and his supplier get thrown in the back of a police van. Bruised and confused, Pamela picks herself up and heads back to see her undercover husband, Kevin, at the safe house. But by now, neither of them are pretending any longer. Living together through the strain of Project Scorpius, the personal and the professional slowly blurred. Your partner is the only person you can actually be your true authentic self. You're not pretending to be somebody else. It's really your only bridge to your real life and your work life. And I think that that's how the relationship grew is that we discovered that we had a lot more in common and that we were had a lot of the same values and beliefs. We became best friends and then things uh, really went undercover. As Rip Day moves into takedown day, Project Scorpius takes down 70 dealers. That was from street level right up to our higher mid-level targets as well as some other people that had been out of province from there. All thanks to the work of two undercovers, Kevin and Pamela. The 70 targets they brought down include Rob, the gym manager who first introduced them to Billy and the Hells Angels connection. They also get Animal, the out-of-town dealer who held Rob up at knife point. And they get Billy's wife. But Kevin and Pamela aren't done yet. 
they now have to officially present themselves to each person they've taken down. They're brought to the station and they're sat down and they don't even know why they're going into this room. And then all of a sudden, these two people that they thought they had known and show up. And the only thing we say to them is, hello, I am Detective Constable Pamela Robinson. Hello, I'm Detective Constable Kevin Barnum. We show our badges. We get the reaction on camera because all that is evidence for court. And walk out of the room. Often, it is the hardest and strangest part of an undercover's job. The reactions from people are everything from tears to, I knew you were a cop the whole time. There's a lot of that. They know they're being filmed, so there's not a lot of threats. But you can see in their face that they would rip your head off if you were in a different circumstance at that moment. Of all the people they busted, including the animal, only one was abusive towards them. Billy's wife, the one who worked for social services. We made sure she was arrested at work. She was the only one who physically threatened me. She didn't care that she was arrested for drugs. She didn't care about, you know, Billy going to prison, all the different things that happened. The biggest slight was her getting put in handcuffs at her place of work. That was just too much for her. Given the evidence accumulated against each target, most go down straight away. Maybe out of 100 buys, you might get one or two that actually go to court and then the evidence of an undercover police officer with the evidence that you give and the, the exhibits. I've never, out of over 500 prosecutional buys, never ever had not a conviction on a drug buy. A few weeks after takedown day, Kevin and Pamela see Rob, the target who introduced them to so many others in the town, have his day in court. So he's held in custody, and it doesn't take long when all these people are together to start talking about how they met us. And the common thread usually led back to Rob. And the first time we saw Rob in court... Yeah, he'd been beaten pretty bad. Like, he was, his, his face was... Yeah, he was still bruised and swollen even after that amount of time because, you know, they figured out he's the one who opened the door. But what of Billy's brother-in-law... Dave the Wolf Carroll, one of the Hells Angels' senior enforcers. Well, he vanished. He'd been indicted on 13 counts of first-degree murder, and he went missing shortly after that. You know, there was rumors about the heat was on, he had taken off to Australia, the HA over there were covering him up. Then there was rumors that he'd been killed because he had been talking or a rat of some description, but there was nothing that we knew concretely that it happened. I believe he's still on the Interpol most wanted list. Ultimately, while Project Scorpius didn't take down any fully-fledged Hells Angels, it got closer than almost any other cover operation up to that time. Getting Billy, the brother-in-law of the Wolf and a known associate of the Angels, was a big prize in itself, on top of the 70 other dealers brought to justice through the mission. And Kevin and Pamela? Shortly after Scorpius wrapped, they got married. And 20 years later, they still are. And they're also still working together, just not as undercover drug officers. Pamela is a public speaker, giving talks on body language and how to read a situation, a skill she honed for years working as a true spy. Kevin runs operations behind the scenes. I'm Sophia DiMartino. 
Join us next week for a look inside the CIA's infiltration of the National Student Association in the turbulent 50s and 60s. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. <laughs>